So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. We've been in this series called Heroes, and so we've been looking at the lives of men and women in the Old and in the New Testament, and we've been looking at their experiences with God. We've been looking at their circumstances with God, and so we've taken their experiences, we've taken their circumstances, and we've been applying them to our lives, or we've been looking at some things that, that we could learn. Now today, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Gideon. Uh, Gideon lived in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6, verse 1 through 14 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, I'll give you kind of the cliff notes, and then we'll just we'll make some principles about his life. So Joshua, remember we looked at Moses' life, and Moses led the children of Israel all the way up to the edge of the promised land. They got up to the edge of the promised land and then they disobeyed and whatever. They wandered in the desert for, for 40 years and then, then, Joshua, and then Moses died out and that generation died out. And then all of a sudden Joshua, God raises up Joshua. And so Joshua comes and he leads the children of Israel into the promised land. Now this is very important for us to understand the culture, the context of this. The people that we're going to look at in Judges, they're in the promised land. It's the land that, that Joshua had fought for. It's the land that God had given them. There was great freedom there. There was great blessing there. But God gave the same warning to Moses as he gave to Joshua. God gave Moses a warning and says, you continue to warn the people uh, to hand off their faith well to their children, to take their faith and be willing to pass their faith down to their children, hand off their faith well. And Joshua, in that generation, God told Joshua as well to tell the people, learn how to hand off your faith and hand off your faith well to the, to the generation. And so... Now, Joshua has died, and his generation has died, and now these warnings have been ignored. And now there is a whole generation that is being raised up who do not know the Lord and do not follow him. So the same is true. Uh, not only are the promises of God are, are true for blessing, but the promises of God are true for correction. The promises of God are true for blessing and correction. The, the promises of God are true for the blessing in your life. The, and the same is true for the discipline in your life or for the correction in your life. So we have this generation in Judges chapter 6 with no spiritual heritage, no memory of their spiritual past. And all of a sudden you look at this group of people and you realize that they are being more influenced by the society and the culture than God. And instead of them being able to speak into the society, speak into the community, they are being influenced more. The fact is the community is influencing them more, the society is influencing them more than they are able to influence the culture and society. The fact is you realize that these believers, these God followers, had no influence in their culture. And so they forgot who they were. They forgot who they are, that they're a child of God and that they follow him. And so you, we bring this point of the story to where they're in great distress, and God has allowed them. God has allowed them to be corrected with the Mennonites, to be disciplined. And so when we look at this in Judges chapter 6, this is the fourth time. The fact is, when you go through Judges, you realize that there's this cycle. And there's a cycle a lot of times that is in our life true as well. That God blessed them, and they, they, they followed God, and they were obedient to Him. And then something happened in their life, and they just, they just rejected Him. And they walked away from him. And as a result of that, there was, there was consequences because it's true. There are blessings to the promises of God, but there's also warnings to, their, to the blessings of God. There are, are the promises of God. There are, there's also discipline or consequences because the scripture says you reap what you sow. Now, I know in a church, I know this is kind of, for some, this is just like uncomfortable. I mean, we like to talk about God is love and he is. And we like to talk about God blesses us, and he does. 
But when people kind of tense up and when people kind of push back is when you preach the whole counsel of God's word. And you say, yes, it is true that God does bless, that obedience brings blessing in your life. Obedience brings blessing in my life. And the same is true that disobedience brings correction, brings consequences. And they are not exempt from it and we are not exempt from it. So the children of Israel, they go into the promised land and they're prosperous and they forget God. They put more trust in their wealth, their education, their careers, their stuff, and they slowly walk away from him. So what's happening to the children of Israel is not uncommon to what happens to us or what happens to cultures or what happens to countries. God cannot allow a country to continually reject him without any consequence, without any correction, or without any discipline. You watch over and over in the Old Testament through the book of Judges that there was great blessing, and they went through great blessing and great prosperity. Then they rejected him, and then came oppression, or came discipline, or came correction, however you want to phrase that. And then you see when they get to the, when they get to the bottom there's repentance. You know, repentance means this, a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Instead of walking away from him, you find that they begin walking towards him. And you, then you find deliverance, and then you find restoration. But here's the crazy thing. They went through this cycle over and over and over in the Old Testament. And so Gideon is introduced into this time when Israel is like, and they're just in a terrible situation. And there's this entire group of people living outside of the will of God. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. That you're, you know and that you're living outside of God's best for you or the will of God. See, we're living in a time and we're living in a day to where, unfortunately, we're a lot like them. Our society is a lot like them to where believers no longer have real influence in our society and our community. A lot of people are asking in this day and age, where is God? I mean, where is God in this? Where is God in this situation? You know the question they're really asking? Where are the people of God? See, that's what they're really asking. They're not really asking where is God. They're asking this, where are the people of God? With God's spirit on them. Where are the people of God in my career? Where are the people of God in my job? Where are the people of God in my community? Where are the people of God in my home that have the spirit of God on them? That are willing just to stand up for him. See, what was happening to this group of people, there was no difference in their lifestyle in the world. The way they ran their lives, the way they ran their careers, the way they ran their families, the way they ordered their priorities, there was no difference. And today, believers no longer truly influence because there's no distinctives or there's no difference. And I'm telling you what, it is a sad commentary that we have become so secular instead of sacred, instead of spiritual. See, until you and I understand this, that we were created by God for God, your life will never make sense. Until you understand life is not all about you. 
But until you and I come to the place in our life to where we get it and to where we understand that we were created by Him, for Him, your life, I'm just telling you, you'll never have really any influence in your life and your life will never make sense. Three things about Gideon and three things about the children of Israel. We're just going to pull out of here and, and I'm telling you, this is a sermon that should cause every one of us to examine our lives where we are. The first thing you see of this cycle, the first thing that you see in, in their life was this, is that they didn't get to this place of distress overnight. In other words, they didn't get to this place of just the bottom of the barrel to where they had nowhere to look up. I mean, everything had been like taken away from them. Listen, let me tell you something. They did, did not get to this place overnight. Oh, and guess what? You don't get to that place overnight as well. Watch this. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. It says, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see that phrase a lot in the book of Judges. It says, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven days years. See, what was happening is this was a slow burn. This didn't happen overnight. Listen, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, say things like, well, that was, that was just like a moral blowout. There's no such thing as a moral blowout. It's a moral slow leak. To where people just slowly start walking away from him. Where they just slowly walk away from community. They slowly walk away from church. They slowly walk away from the things that were once priorities in their life to where when you talk to them and you look at them and they would say things like, I don't know how we got here. There just came a time when we just, we just quit gathering with believers. See, you don't get to that place overnight. And neither did they. It was just like this slow drift. It was just like this slow week. And so it never happens overnight. There's always this slow drift or this slow leak away from community. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Shark Week. I mean, I mean if it comes on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, and now A&E because of Duck Dynasty, uh, I'm, I'm all over it. I mean, I, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to show you guys a clip next week, Duck Dynasty, because God's all over that clip. And so, so you're going to, in case you haven't, it, anyway, we'll move on. But sh back to Shark Week, you'll see it next week. I love Shark Week. I mean, I mean, and the guy, the announcer guy, he, he, like, he's a high-octane guy. I mean, he's intense. And I mean, when he's introducing the show, he is like, I mean, he is amped up. He is excited. And you just get excited about what he's excited about because he's so excited, right? And so I've caught this episode of Shark Week, and he's talking about they're going to prove this theory to decide that the, the great white shark, does a great, does a great white shark um, desire or prefer to attack a group of seals swimming together, or does a great white shark like the seal that's swimming all by himself, you know, the lone seal? And so they, the show opens up, and they're like, the announcer's on there, and he's like screaming, he's like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna prove this theory out, and we're going to find out the great white shark, you know, goes for the group of seals or the, the single seal. So what we're going to do is this, we're going to chum the water, and they're throwing guts and blood and fish and stuff in the water, and they're like chumming the water, and they said, we're going to create, you know, a, a group of seals, and then over here, we're going to take a boat, and we're going to going to drag a, a rubber seal so no, no innocent lives were harmed in the filming of this. And so we're going we're gonna to drag a rubber seal all by himself behind a boat and we're going to prove out this theory because we're in shark infested waters. And so all of a sudden, you know, the film, they're filming and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden over there where the rubber seal is, the water just explodes. And I mean, this shark comes out and destroys this lone seal. 
And he goes, we have just proven the theory that the great white shark prefers the lone seal over the seals in a group and the seals in community. Just middle note, if you're swimming in shark-infested water, stay with the group. I mean, those of you that you know that you've snorkeled on, like, vacations and stuff like that, that you know they warn you about the drift, right? They warn you about staying with the group. Fact is, they put a guide with you to make sure what? Everybody stays with the group. Because what do you, do? What do you have to do to drift? Absolutely nothing. It takes work to stay with the group, right? If you've ever snorkeled, you know that. All through creation proves out this theory. All through creation proves out this theory that in community, there's safety. In community, there's purpose. In community, there is protection. There is no such thing as long-ranger Christians. You will not be able to follow God with purpose and with meaning and successfully without being a part of the community. Everything through creation proves this out. The ones that are at risk will not go into community. Listen, let me tell you something. As much as sometimes as we hate to admit it, I need you. And you need me. Now, prideful people, they don't like that kind of stuff. Prideful people say, you know what, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody speaking into my life. I don't need anybody helping me. I don't need anybody. I can, I can do this on my own. But listen, let me tell you something. Everything in creation, everything in God's word points to this. Purpose, meaning, safety is in community. This last week, and I have their permission to share this story. This last week, Jim Deutsch's mom passed away. Ramona is her, was her name. And, and Jim and Becky Deutsch and their two kids, James and Lexi. Jim and Becky have been in our church since 1997. Uh, his mom passed away, and, and her celebration of life service was at 2 o'clock at the Primrose Community Center. Just a small room. They were going to have the funeral in a small room, and, and uh, only expecting 40 people. And so I wasn't officiating in the funeral, but I, I wanted to go to support Jim and Becky Deutsch. And so I, I went there and, and got there, and they were expecting 40, and there were 200. And so I looked around the room, and I realized every couple in Jim and Becky Deutsch's life group was there. Every couple. They rearranged schedules. They got off from work early. Every couple that Jim and Becky Deutsch had been doing life with was there in their moment of need. Oh, and not because they had a connection to Ramona, because some of them didn't even know Jim's mom. They had a connection to Jim and Becky. And if Jim and Becky are going to go through a tough time, we're going to be there with them. People are asking, where is God? But you know, the real question is, where are the people of God? There was nobody in that room that day asking, where is God? Man, I, I watched as people kept pouring in from the ladies' ministry and from this church. And I kept just watching men from the life group begin to set up chairs and help the staff to just bring in more chairs and direct people. And I'm standing up against the wall during the service with Lee Hall, one of our elders. 
And I looked over at the Deutsch family and I looked at James and Lexi sitting down in the front row at their grandmother's funeral. Now I just thought, they know church is more than an hour on Sunday. See, that's why a lot of kids grow up cynical about the church because to them the church is only something you do for an hour on the weekend. And after that, you don't, you don't invest your life in anyone else. And you don't, I mean, I'm telling you, what a way to be able to hand off your faith when your kids ask you, Mom and Dad, why are these people here that don't even know my grandmother? Because we're the people of God. And God's Spirit is on us. And we get it and we understand. Listen, I'm telling you, I feel sorry for the believer. I still feel sorry for the person that is resistant to biblical community because you are at risk. You're at risk. See, this is what was happening to this group. They ditch biblical community. That's why he said what they did, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, oh, and they began to question the word of God. Listen, let me just tell you something so we just understand each other here this morning. If you come across a scripture that you don't understand or you don't like, that does not mean it's wrong. It just means you don't understand it. Or it may mean it's a mystery of God. And his ways may be higher than our ways. And we may never understand at this side of heaven. But this group of people, they no longer believed in biblical community. They no longer believe in investing their life into others. They no longer were handing their faith off to their children so their children could see how the people of God handles things differently than the world. So, it didn't happen overnight. It took a while for them to get into this place of, of distress. The second thing is this, is they no longer could enjoy the blessings of God. This is crazy when you look at this. They're in the promised land. They're in the place that God had promised them. They're in the place of great freedom. They're in the place of great blessing. They've, they've, they've reached the place of obtaining their dream home, their dream vacations, their dream stuff. They're living in the land that they believed, that they had prayed for. Oh, and they're living in the land that they have worked for and they have fought for. They're living in the promised land. And they're going through problems. And so just the spiritual principle is this. Sin will never allow you to enjoy the blessings of God. See, in, I'm telling you, when you meet Christ, he messes up sin for you. You no longer enjoy it like you once did. Fact is, the scriptures would say this. If you can enjoy sin without any conviction, you may not be a believer. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That if you can continually live in unrepentant sin and it not really convict you and it not really bother you, you may be religious, but you may not be a believer. Sin does not make you bad. It makes you dead. Sin does not make you bad. It makes you a captive. Sin does not make you bad. It makes you a slave. Sin does not make you bad. It just rips all the blessings of God from you. Watch this as we just walk through. Their, just their fall. 
In verse 2, you realize that they're living in the promised land, but they're, they're living life on the run. In other words, they have like no peace. Watch this, verse 2. They're in their dream home. They're in their dream land. But for whatever reason, they cannot find peace. The reason is, it's sin. But verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites were making hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. This group of people that were living in their dream homes, that were living in the promised land, they are now living in caves, not because they like to camp. Not because they preferred a dingy, dark, cold cave over their dream hole. And they were living like on the run and in hiding and in foxholes. I mean, this is a group of people, they're just trying to keep their head above water. Even though they have their dream job, even though they have their dream land, even though they have their dream home, even though things are going okay. See, sin will never allow you to enjoy the blessings of God. Sin will never allow you to enjoy the things that God has for you. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes, what? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I, I come to give you life, and I come to give you life, what? I give you life more abundantly. And they're in hiding, and they're on the run. See, sin will always rob you of the things that God has given you. That's why you hear people say, you know what, after that decision, what? I lost it all. I lost everything that I cherished. I lost everything that was important to me. I just like lost it. And you see this in their life. The next thing is is they lost their income. Verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack. Here's the crazy thing. This is the group of people they destroyed to take the promised land. The very thing in their life that they had victory over. comes back and they're dealing with the same old problem again then they lose their possessions verse 4 camping in the land destroying the crops as far as far away as Gaza they left the Israelites and with nothing to eat taking all the sheep goats cattle and donkeys and they had it all they had it all And they're just trying to hang on. They're just trying to keep their head above water because sin will never allow you to enjoy the blessings of God. And then watch this. They lose their self-respect. Verse 5, these enemies, hordes, uh, coming there with their livestock and tents were thick as locusts and they arrived droves of camels and too numerous to count. In the state until the land was stripped bare. And so now then, you know what they have? They have like no hope. They have no identity. They no longer know who they are. And then here's when they finally look up to the Lord. And it's so interesting. They didn't, they didn't look up to him in phase one, phase two, phase three. You know what? It, it took to when everything was stripped from them. And I wish I could say that's, that's only them. But many of us have testimonies. But we didn't look up to him and we didn't turn to him until the locusts had destroyed and eaten everything in our life. 
So they now experience brokenness. Verse 6, so Israel was reduced to, to starvation by the Midianites and the Israelites cried out to the Lord and for help. And it took them seven years to get there. And God will never allow the believer to sin successfully. Because he loves you too much for that. This group of people could not even look to the future with hope. This group of people could not even look to the future with encouragement. And they were depressed. Sometimes I think about our country. And I don't know about you, but I know our country needs help. And our culture continues to move farther and farther away from God. And man, we're either going to have a movement to where people cry out to God for help. Or we're going to move farther and farther away from him and we're going to be brought to our knees. Biblically, countries and people, with the correction of God, the discipline of God, are always brought down from the inside out. And we're watching that happen. The last thing is this, is that the way back to him, and this is good news, the way back to him is obedience. See, the next verses, verses 7 through 10, are just so interesting. And, and God has taken them and God is helping them to remember a time when he moved in their life. I mean, God is trying to help them to understand, to remember that time before they had fallen. See, see Revelation, okay, so if you guys have been life journaling with us, you know that we've read through, through Revelation. And so when Jesus writes to the seven churches, right, and he writes to that one church that says you've lost your first love, and all of a sudden, he, he, he just he tells them something interesting. And this, this principle not only works in, in our life, but guess what? This principle works in marriage as well. I know this isn't a marriage sermon, but this is just free. When you have fallen out of love, when you have fallen out of love with him, when you have fallen out of love with, with your spouse, you know what the word says? Remember how far you've fallen. Remember what it was like when you first met. Remember what it was like when you dated. Remember what it was like to talk on the phone for hours and you couldn't get off the phone because like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you go. You go. No, still there. Remember that? Maybe not. You know, the way back to him is obedience. But the way back to him, he wanted to remember what it was like. To follow him. So interesting. Verse 7, watch this. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Now, this is a phrase that you're not probably familiar with, but this is a phrase out of the Seder. This is a phrase out of the Passover. In the Seder, in the Passover, and guess what? In March, here's what we're going to do. We're going to experience communion like you've never experienced communion ever before. I'm going to take the Seder. I'm going to take the, the Seder Passover meal, and we're going to take that, and we're going to overlay the gospel on top of it to show you how Jesus was a fulfillment of everything that they did. And so what happens is, in the Seder, there's four statements that are made. 
there are four cups that are that are that are that are that are, that are drank in the Seder, and they have deep spiritual meaning. And all of a sudden, when he makes this statement, watch this. He says, "I brought you out of slavery in Egypt." That is one of the cups in the in the Seder. What he is doing, he is reminding them of the time that they used to go to church. Remember when you used to observe the Passover? Remember what happened before you left community? Remember what it was like when we would take the Seder, we would take the Passover together? Remember what it was like to like worship? Remember what it was like before you fell? See, that's the way back to him. It's like this obedience to where you remember what it was like to be in biblical community, what it was like to live for him, what it was like to live in blessings and all the stuff that you've lost. And so he goes on and he says, I rescued you from the Egyptians. Another statement out of the Seder. And from all those who opposed you, I drove out your enemies and I gave you this land. Another, remember of all the blessings, remember the answer to prayer. And I told you, Watch this. I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But here's the problem. But you started to question my word. You started to push away from community. But you would not listen to me. And so he just takes them through and he begins to share all that God has done for you. The blessings and how far that you have fallen. And then he does this. He tells them who's they are, who he, he tells them who's he, who he is. And he says, God told them, and he says, And I am the Lord your God. And guess what? That is great encouragement for us. Because even in their rejection, even in their rebellion, they are still a child of God. Scripture says that God disciplines the ones that he loves. God disciplines his children. Isn't that good news that even in our rejection of him, even in our rebellion, that he still loves us? That we haven't been kicked out of the family. He didn't tell him, you've been kicked out of the family, you need to apply to get back in. I am still your Lord, and I am still your God, and I am coming after you. And then he told them what he desired. He said, do not worship the gods of the Amorites. You know why he said that? Because you will become what you worship. That's why worship is so important. That's why worship is such a huge value here at Fellowship of the Rockies. There is something wrong when our celebration is greater at a football field or around a football game than it is in this place. Because you will become what you worship. You see this in people's lives. You know whether they're a Ford guy or a Chevy guy, right? You know their favorite hobbies. You know their favorite stuff. But you may not know that they're a follower of Christ. He said, you must learn to worship me. Just tell you this. When you engage in him and worship... You can worship your way out of crisis. You can worship your way out of difficulty. When you learn, as Pastor Chad said, when you learn just to press into him and worship him, 
and become the people of God. Our testimony, listen, our testimony, when we talk to people in, in the workplace, our testimony is not that I used to go to church and now I go to church. Or, and that, that's great, and I'm proud because I'm a pastor. I like you coming to church. But that doesn't change anybody's life. Or I've started going back to church and I'm learning a lot of good stuff. Well, that's fine, and, and I'm glad. But that doesn't change, that doesn't move, that doesn't change anybody's life. Or I, I've started going to this church and I've met some really good friends. Well, that's fine, and I'm, but you know our testimony is? I was once dead and now I'm alive. That's our testimony. That's what moves people when we're able to be the people of God and say, you know what? I was once dead and sin does not make me bad. Sin makes me dead. And I was once, in, I was once a prisoner and I was slave to all that stuff. I was once dead and guess what? Now I'm alive and I worship him. That's what moves people. And there's so many people, and they're like, they're, they're just like waiting on God. And sometimes you may hear people talk about that, right? Well, we're just waiting on God. We're waiting on God to answer this prayer. We're waiting on God to change my mate. We're waiting on God. To me, it's like a four-way stop. I hate four-way stops. I don't know about you. But, you know, when you roll up at the same time, it's like, no, you go, you go. And you know they're supposed to go, and they won't go, and they're waving. And then both of you go at the same time, and so you stop. Now you got to go through the whole deal again. It's a waste of time. I hate four-way stops. Well, guess what? Sometimes we come up to the four-way stop with God. And we're going, you go. He goes, no, you go. Listen, God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. God only asks you to do what you can do. God never asks you to do anything supernatural. You know why? Because you're not supernatural. God only wants you. We talk about this a lot in this church. Just be willing to take the next step. Whatever that next step is, we'll call it good. Moses, when he parted the Red Sea, what was Moses' job? Hold up a stick. <laughs> Seriously? That's all he had to do? He just held up a stinking stick. What would God do? Supernatural. He parted the Red Sea. What would Joshua do to, start, to, to cross the Jordan River? Just wait in it. Just be willing to step in it while it was still flowing. There's a lot of you here this morning. You're wanting God to move in your life. And you're like, God, you go. God's saying, no, you go. And when you go, and I'll bless you. See, the critical thing was how the people responded. And he said, but you have not listened to me question for you here this morning is are you listening to him what is your response maybe you've been away from him for quite some time and he welcomes you back and we welcome you maybe there's some things that need to change in your life maybe he just wants you this morning just to remember what was it like when you followed him at such a deep level.